Welcome to episode eight of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined once again by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and fearless producer, Johnny Pham. And we have a big show, a, a real hot takey show um, today, probably um, one of the most interesting fantasy football conversations that you hear every pre-draft season. We are going to talk about bus. Um, also, we are going to start a new segment called Something or Nothing, where we look at a little bit of the quote-unquote news coming out of training camp and decide whether or not it's it's news or not, and then just kind of keep up with, with things going on. And with current events, um, with training camp being so closed off, I think it's more important than ever to kind of have these conversations. But first, Johnny, you and I had a real spirited debate the other night, and as soon as it ended, I was like, we just have to take this to the podcast. It's the only way. So, Dalton, I'm not going to tell you which side either of us are on. I just want you to take a side. When you eat a pizza Lunchable, and by pizza Lunchable, I mean cheese and pepperoni, not the double cheese, cheese and pepperoni, do you eat it cold or do you heat it up in the microwave? I (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the person in this debate who doesn't microwave it is a serial killer. You you have to microwave the pizza lunchable. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the the crust is absolutely impossible to eat when it's like cold coming off the lunchable, and, and not only that, just the sauce because it's sometimes frozen and uh, there are little icicles in it. And from the reactions I'm getting, I think Johnny's the one who eats it fresh out of the packet. <laughs> Johnny, defend yourself. Oh my God, my suspicions are right. I knew Dalton would do this. One, first of all, you have to be, I, okay, I just think eating a lunch bowl and having to microwave it is just bougie. You're eating a <laughs> dollar, you're eating a dollar lunch bowl. Like, typically these are for kids. They take them to school. They take them to a picnic. So you're telling me if you bring this to a picnic, you're not going to eat it cold. You're going to want it microwaved. I would just get the cheese and cracker lunchable. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, no. to, be, and okay. to be clear, the, in our conversation, I said, you know, anywhere I'm eating a lunchable, I have a mm. microwave. Whether or not I took it to work, I'm eating it at home. Maybe there's like a rare occasion where I, I don't. The only occasion would be like if you're actually a kid. And you're taking it for a school lunch, which um, my sister did that like every day of seventh grade. So I asked her, I was like, which way do you prefer it? And she said, well, it's okay cold, but it gets really old after a while. She likes it warm better. And she, I feel like, is the number one trusted source in this. All right. That's fair. But I guess in my defense, (laughs) I've never actually eating it warmed because you've never (laughs) eaten it warm no and i don't want to and i want it to be on the record i am the pizza expert i worked at little caesars for four years i have some credibility on this little caesars pizza expertise did you serve your customers (laughs) did you work at a pizza place no tell me where did you work at papa john's pizza hut okay you worked not at a pizza chain there are two major issues with eating a, a lunchable cold number one the flatbread just tastes disgusting to me when it's cold number two so it's different from eating a piece of leftover pizza cold and you want to know why because that cheese has been previously melted because it was at one point warm you're eating the same cheese i'm eating on a salad on your pizza 
you're eating Not even the salad with Sometimes the cheese. Sometimes the pepperoni's hard. No, I don't know where you get your lunchables, but I've never gotten sauce that has been frozen. I think unless Dalton you freezer put it in the, yeah, unless you put it in a freezer, then it's gonna be the sauce is gonna be frozen. You are high, sir. You, I next time you get a lunchable that the sauce is frozen, please show me because I do not believe that take whatsoever. I will also, say if you have, I a, have a lunchable if- right here. <laughs> All right, it also says. No need to heat. Yeah, technically you don't have to heat it. Yeah, just like exactly. just like you could eat um, microwave popcorn. You could just eat the kernels if you. Oh want. my god, that so was what I was gonna says, say. So they don't make you pop to, the popcorn, but it tastes nah, a lot nah, better. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> also says to heat. Build pizzas on a microwavable plate. Microwave on high for thirty seconds. Pizzas will be hot. Adult supervi- supervision recommended. So if you microwave a Lunchable, you need adult supervision. I, I'm just saying you don't need adult supervision when you Johnny, eat how cold. old were you when you started microwaving things? I don't know. I, it doesn't matter. I don't want to answer not that. much older than nine years old is my point. I don't say you need supervision to this. eat that cold with that hard choking hazard crust. <laughs> It's not a choke hazard at imagine, all. Imagine I mean, if you have when a big, a big time, glob don't. of cheese stuck together. A big no, glob of that gross cheese. Up. You can easily crumble it up. Yeah, but it tastes disgusting. After, okay, we've spent too long. Um, I am going to tweet out a poll right now. Um, okay, see, so, so everybody I also is did aware. my research. Kylie Jenner <laughs> did this back in 2018, <laughs> and it got... It got ratioed pretty hard for hot. It was like eighty three percent. I was like, I'm I'm gonna be dead in the water here. It, but it's so, it's what's so funny. the PFF grade on a cooked lunchable versus not? Okay, see, hot lunchable got seventy percent, cold got thirty percent. Per Kylie Jenner's um, Instagram story she did two years ago. Well, I just uh, I just I just don't know what to say. It's funny that Dalton called you a serial killer. Um my other group of friends in a group chat that I asked this question to one of those people also called Johnny a serial killer. So I, I feel like, I feel like that's a, a pretty, a pretty reasonable take. It seems like the serial killer thing. Well, I'm, I'm offended. I'm triggered. <laughs> I'm triggered right now. If it makes you feel any better, Scott Jason actually agrees with you, Johnny, but Scott, and that is, is why, killer. no, and that's why I really like Scott. Anytime I see his tweet, <laughs> I always favorite it. I didn't, under, I didn't understand his take, though, because he said if he eats double cheese, he microwaves. But if it's pepperoni with cheese, he 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 does not. I don't understand why that maybe, would make a difference. But Maybe the next time we're all recording together in person, I will microwave it and eat it on the pod. First time. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I, can't, I can't believe our young Johnny has had a sip of alcohol, has voted <laughs> in an election, but has never heated up a pizza lunch there's <laughs> no need <laughs> okay so we'll move on to to some actual fantasy here boy that i uh, i can't believe you johnny that just disgraceful um before we get into our bus like i said we are gonna start off with a little bit of something or nothing but first i actually wanted to start off with a couple of news nuggets uh first being chris carson is away indefinitely and his return is quote a ways away according to pete carroll due to a death in the family that's all the details i saw yesterday um and that being wednesday we're recording this on a thursday night on twitter obviously number one best to chris carson and his family number two we don't really know what indefinitely means that could mean literally 
anything. It could mean two days. It could mean two months. We we have no idea. For now, I guess the corpse of Carlos Hyde is the starter. We don't know for how long with Rashad Penny on the PUP. Um, we don't need to speculate on who necessarily, but Dalton, surely they're going to bring somebody else in if this like bleeds into the season, right? Like We wouldn't expect Carlos Hyde to be like the only guy in town. Well, they still have the rookie they drafted, DJ Dallas. And then they have Travis Homer, who's supposedly a really good pass catching back. Um, Is CJ Presley still a thing? Does he still exist? He is on a different team at this point, I believe. (laughs) Oh, guy. But uh, overall, I think this is something we'll have a lot more clarity uh, coming into uh, the season. Something you don't need to monitor too much. His health seems to be fine, so he can probably come back and start right away. And CJ Presley is actually a free agent. So (laughs) if. You're looking for a narrative street. There is a little bit of familiarity and scheme fit there. Too bad. I think that guy's actually a decent player, but talk about injury prone. Um, okay. Uh, another piece of uh, pretty unfortunate news. Darius Geis was cut after turning himself in and being arrested on domestic violence charges. Sounds like multiple incidents from what I understand. So I, I wouldn't think that he'll be in the NFL at all this season. Who knows? Um, after that, impossible to really say. I guess what we're left with is everyone's favorite sleeper, Antonio Gibson, who's now no longer really a sleeper, probably. And then guys like Adrian Peterson and uh, Peyton Barber. Um, Dalton, out of those guys, do you have a favorite in, in, the, in that backfield? Well, clear cut, my favorite was Antonio Gibson. The situation with his draft position has gotten out of control. I've seen him going in the sixth and fifth rounds. What? And this, this is a guy who played 77 offensive snaps at Memphis uh, for three seasons, I think. At a granite, he was behind talented backs like Tony Pollard and Darrell Henderson. Memphis really is just turning out those backs we love to speculate about, but never see on the field, it looks like. Uh, but at the end of the day, his ADP is jumping so high, it's not anything I want to deal with. You have Bryce Love, Peyton Barber, J.D. McKissick, and Adrian Peterson. None of them are pretty tantalizing. Uh, I might take a flyer on Bryce Love or Peyton Barber in the last round if I was desperate. But overall, at his current ADP, I don't want Antonio Gibson, but he would be the guy I want to own if I could get him closer to the eighth or ninth round. Yeah, so Gibson is definitely my choice. Obviously, yeah, I'm not drafting to be a starter. If he's a guy, and I haven't updated my rankings since the the guy's stuff came out last week, um, like two days after we drafted him in best ball, but that's another discussion. I think I would have Gibson in the late 30s or early 40s, and I think it's pretty clear to me, or not clear, but I would not be surprised if Adrian Peterson is the guy who leads the backfield and carries. I think Gibson's a guy that, you know, if he gets 100 carries, that's great, but I wouldn't even expect that. I think you're going to see him a lot a- as a receiver and just as a kind of a gadget, maybe like a Percy Harvin-esque type of role. And he's definitely the most exciting. I think if any of those guys, he's the guy I want. Just because like a guy like Peterson or Peyton Barber, they're a nice bye week fill-in, but for the most part, they just feel like an anchor on your fantasy roster to me. Yeah, the one interesting thing I did see was there's a lack of weapons right now in Washington. You got Steven Sims. Antonio Goldie Dandy, and of course, is that a real name? That is his name, and <laughs> Terry McLaurin. Uh, there was speculation that Gibson couldn't even start the season out playing slot, which is some interesting eligibility reasons for your league where you might be able to play a running back who's playing receiver, uh, mm-hmm. and that's always interesting. 
But other than that, if I can't get him later, I'm not wanting him earlier. Yeah, I, I had also seen the same kind of stuff that he has spent about as much time with the receivers at at practice or you know training camp, virtual stuff, whatever it is. Um, the Washington football team is doing at, at this moment at, as the running back. So he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on. Not somebody I think either of us are full steam ahead on, on the hype train. I think we would have been if you could have taken him, you know, for free in the 13th round. Now Absolutely. that's just, that's just not going to happen. So uh, just two more um, quick nuggets here. Uh, two tight ends, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. Both of those guys got paid within about, an hour of each other. It was almost like the Chiefs saw that and we're like, okay, well, there's your number, um, Travis. There's your yearly <laughs> number um, to go off of. So Kelsey gets a four-year, $57.25 million extension. That's $28 million in guarantees. And with what he had left, that's six more years in Kansas City if the team opts to keep him for that entire contract. And George Kittle, which this one is a bigger deal for fantasy, obviously, because there was just the teeniest little concern that a holdout might might actually happen if nothing got done there. A five-year, $75 million extension, $30 million guaranteed at signing. I don't think there's too much else we're going to say on those guys. They're both studs. They're your top two guys at the tight end position pretty easily. And we'll move on now to something or nothing. And Dalton, we're going to start with I know something that got all of our attention last week when Lewis Riddick put this on Twitter. Lewis Riddick says that Clyde Edwards Hilaire should be the number one pick in fantasy drafts. And here's his direct quote from Twitter. No preseason games and no joint practices means you better have some inside info as to how players are progressing in camp. I can assure you Edwards Hilaire is progressing very well given what they have been able to do up to this point. Dalton, is that is that anything? Is that something or is that nothing? It's something, but for me, it's nothing. If you were a guy, <laughs> let Go me explain. On. It's nothing for me because I already have him ranked as my fifth overall back, and I can't justify him going any higher. Um, he's in the same team as Saquon, Zeke, Kamara, and CMC. But there were people who were still out on him as being a top-tier back this year. And it's really good when you see news from somebody who's not a fantasy analyst like Lewis Riddick is breaking that a player is doing really well. Those guys have no real, you know, investment in how the player performs for Although fantasy. Although Lewis actually does play fantasy, but he's he not does a play. Analyst, yes. And he's also the same guy who was huge on Saquon and Pat Mahomes. Took, took him number one. That's why I was going to say he took Saquon number one overall his rookie year. He was the commander-in-chief, the conductor of the Patrick Mahomes hype train before Mahomes ever stepped on the field, and then especially before the year um, where he was the starter. So I think, number one, Lewis is very smart anyways. Number two, I think he has a good relationship with people in the front office in Kansas City. So for me, I do agree with you that it is something. It's not something that's going to make me move him up in my rankings necessarily, but it is something that makes you feel better about having him ranked where he is because give even given the talent given the situation there is just a small part at least of me where it's like boy like we haven't seen this guy play in the nfl yet i'm gonna take him over over joe mixon over you know for me josh jacobs over some of those guys but it's like you see stuff like that um from a guy like lewis who is um he's not a mouthpiece i'll just put it that way um he's not just saying what the chiefs want him to say all the time that that at least makes me feel better about my rank of CEH. And then now on to 
what I think we're both going to say is nothing. I wanted to put this in here, though, just as an example of what you need to kind of watch out for, what you need to be aware of when you're looking at, you know, basically these media scrums via Zoom when these quotes get put out there. Josh Jacobs says the goal is to catch at least 60 passes this year, something or nothing. Well, I want this podcast episode to get 10,000 listens. Uh, <laughs> and just like that, it's probably nothing for me. Uh, you know, Josh Jacobs is to be best. clear. I think he's more likely to get 60 catches than this episode get that many listens unless the launchable debate really sets us <laughs> off. <laughs> Maybe Kylie Jenner shoots us a retweet. <laughs> uh, yeah. But at the end of the day, they, and I'll talk more about this later in our busts, but they added more receiving weapons. So there are more guys competing for those targets. And I would try say Jalen Richard still is the better receiving back out of that backfield. Uh, 60 catches is just a lot, even for some of the, the more performant backs the past touching game. So mm-hmm. it's definitely nothing for me. Yeah. So, I'm going to say it's nothing for me too. It's not that I, well, I don't think he's going to do that anyway. It's not that I don't think he's capable of doing that, but okay. A guy comes out and says he wants to do that, you know, big deal. It it doesn't mean anything. And if you see anybody trying to tell you that, oh, well, Josh Jacobs wants to catch the ball that, you know, that, that means that they're going to pepper him with targets. It's like, no, like that's just the kind of stuff that you really have to watch out for those, those fluff kind of reports or quotes that you see circulating when, we don't know what's going on in practice, so that's kind of all. That's all we see. So just, I would say, keep your guard up on on stuff like this. Um, that's why I wanted to put this in here, Dalton, not because I think Josh Jacobs is going to catch sixty passes. I thought you were just trying to get me to go on another rant <laughs> about Josh Jacobs. <laughs> Maybe for a future podcast. This next one is good for our best ball team, bad for my mental health when it comes to having a third round pick. Um. On Marlon Mack, Frank Reich says he has, quote, earned the right to be Colts starting running back. Dalton, is that something or nothing? I actually, at first I thought this was more coach speak, but then I went back and looked and I decided it was something because uh, Frank Reich has been pretty consistent saying that Marlon Mack is the 1A and that Jonathan Taylor is the 1B. Additionally, he came out and said that there's going to be a hot hand on who gets the ball in that offense, so Mack's going to get the first shot which for our best ball team is pretty good news uh, because the Colts start with the Jags, Jets, and Browns. All those teams are going to be pretty run-friendly, especially the first two, Jags and Jets. Uh, So one thing I would just watch out for is Marlon Mack's ADP is at 101 right now in RB38, and he's probably going to start the year hot with these comments coming out. So you might be able to sell high on him midway through the season when I'm anticipating a Taylor takeover. Yeah, okay, so for me, uh, I will say this is something as well. Just, well, number one, it's it's just a massive headache, quite frankly, and it's just annoying because I, I just think when NFL coaches do that, oh, well, it's it's the veteran's job, he's earned it. It's like, you know, sometimes the young guy is just better, and I think that's going to be the case here. So it's just going to be really annoying for fantasy if all season it's clear that Taylor is better, but it takes entirely too long for him to actually take over this job but i am with you that you know this kind of leads you in the direction to maybe think that mac could get off to a quick start so you know for example if you take well maybe if you take taylor it's a good idea to stack up with mac later if you want to <laughs> but if you have uh an rb2 who you don't feel great about or maybe it's a, maybe like deandre swift another young guy on a different team is your or carry RB2. on johnson yeah yeah if you have another rb2 where 
you think it could be a slow start for him. You know, Matt could be kind of a plug and play guy to get you by early in the season at a good price. And then, you know, if you play in a league where guys are box score hunting for for trades, then yeah, you could definitely you could definitely sell knowing that Jonathan Taylor is looming. Okay, last guy here, um, Lamar Miller. He signs with the Patriots uh, pending a physical. I should have checked this. I'm assuming he's probably passed his physical by now. I wrote this like last week, but regardless, um, Lamar Miller is a Patriot. Dalton, does that move the needle at all for you? Is that something or nothing? Well, first of all, news. Uh, the Patriots placed Lamar Miller on the physically unable to perform list today about four hours ago. Oh, yep. I'm seeing that now. So that's not good news. Um, however, I put this so as a, they can remove Miller from the list as soon as he passes his physical. So maybe that's all this is, is who knows? I'm hoping who, who knows? I mean, he tore his ACL in the preseason last year. So you would think he would be close to being able to pass a physical by now, if not able to, but if he can't, then that's obviously concerning. But I, I have this as a big something with a big sad face. Uh, <laughs> for, first and foremost, you can go back to the first pod uh, there's about a 10-minute segment where I rant about Sony Michelle, and you can just delete that. Johnny, just remove it from the podcast. I don't want that to ever be mentioned again. Uh, <laughs> it, the, the backfield in New England is just an absolute mess with Rex Burkhead, Damian Harris, now Lamar Miller, James White. Uh, rest in peace to J.J. Taylor, who's probably going to be a practice <laughs> squad guy. Uh, at this point, if I'm taking anybody... I'm shooting for a flyer on Damian Harris, who I think still has the most skill of that backfield. Uh, Rex Burkhead's 30 years old. We've seen what James White does. He's just a pass catcher. And Lamar Miller's, his PFF rushing grade over the last three seasons has dropped each year. I think he's getting worse. So I'm not too excited about that backfield, and I'm probably not going to invest any significant draft capital in it this season. Yeah, for me, it's something just in that if you were thinking about taking Damian Harris too high, um, you probably shouldn't do that. I mean, there is still a chance. Obviously, you have a guy coming off an ACL, and then you have another guy in Sony Michelle who is very injury prone, who's hurt right now. So there's still a chance for him, but he's not a guy that I'm probably drafting. And if you are, it's like your last pick. I think my takeaway here is kind of the same as my takeaway has always been with the Patriots backfield is that James White is really the only guy I want. He's the guy that, you know, these guys, whether it's injury, get cut, whatever it is. It's like James White's role does not change through all of this. You still feel good about that, um, especially if Cam Newton is the starting quarterback. Um, for me, Dalton, anything else to add, or can we move on to the good stuff here? Let's just move on to the good stuff. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to let you go first. I guess um, we wanted to give a quick talk on bus. So, Dalton, you can jump in if you disagree or have something to add. But I just wanted to say that with this bust segment, this doesn't necessarily mean that we think these guys aren't good, that we think that they can't be useful for your fantasy team. You know, I mean, that could be true, but also could not be true. I mean, not every bust is created equally. Just, you know, if a guy's taken in the first round and he turns fourth round value, that's a bust because you invested so much draft capital in that guy. So if he's a guy that's basically actively hurting your fantasy team, that's a bust in my eyes. Dalton, do you, do you have anything else to, to add to that? No, that's pretty much it. Just to say, we're calling these guys busts where they're being drafted now. You know, last year, if you took Odell Beckham Jr. in the second round, 
like I did, <laughs> you're pretty unhappy. But if somehow in his your league he fell to the fourth round, you were doing all right. And I think that's about the same with these guys, where if you see them falling in your draft, don't label them a bust anymore when they're 12 spots under their ADP or mm-hmm. 13 spots under their ADP. Yeah, yeah. And even like, you know, I'll probably mention this when I get to the specific guy. There's a guy for me where I have him ranked like one or two spots behind his ADP, but it's like, I feel like where he's being drafted that like there's, that's like his max value. And it's like, if he doesn't, and it's a, it's a pretty high draft pick. So if he doesn't perform to that ADP, I, what I'm saying is I don't think you're taking him at a value last year. We took this guy at a value this year. I, I don't think that's the truth anymore. So it's kind of a hairy conversation. Um, but basically these are just five guys that at their current price, we would, we would shy away from. We'll put it that way. They're, it's not like these guys are on a do not draft list, no matter what. I don't really think a list like that exists for me. Everybody can be had for the right price. That That's the exact correct take. Uh, just at their value, don't be reaching for these guys in rounds. Be hoping your league mates miss out and listen to the pod too, and maybe you can get them at a value later on. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing too. It's like you mentioned Odell, if you took him in the second round where you took him, you're unhappy. But you know, if you traded... um a pile of crap to get him, which I'm not necessarily saying that that's what you did when you trade him, but just if you trade a pile of crap to get Odell and he's average, then, you know, Hey, that, that works for you because you gave up a waiver wire guy and maybe one other thing. So yeah, like okay. the trade I had <laughs> with that said, uh, Dalton, I guess we didn't really number these one through five, but I'll just say, we'll we'll just go five, four, three, two, one, just to keep track of where we're at. So give me your number five, your, your first bust. Yep, so I'm just going to be going down the line of where they're at. So this is the earliest guy I have set as a bust, and it's going to be from the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Jones, who currently has an ADP of 21, and he's going in the late second. couple of reasons I have him as a bust. First of all, and everybody knows this, the man was anchored by TDs last year. He had 16 touchdowns. We know regression's coming. That's just rushing, 19 total. Yeah, 19 total. 36% of his fantasy points last season were rushing TDs. And here's a fun little fact from pro football focus. He's one of just the five running backs in NFL history to score 19 or more touchdowns on 285 or fewer touches of those other four to do it. They averaged eight and a half touchdowns the following season. So you're not looking at a high touchdown total. He obviously finished as the number two overall back last year because of this, but there are some concerns with his usage as well. In only eight games, he had 15 or more touches. Four of those games came when Jamal Adams was out or did not play a full season or a full series. And they just added AJ Dillon, who had a second round capital. So overall, you have a lot of things working against Aaron Jones to get more touches. I wouldn't expect him to exceed the 60% touch mark that he averaged last season. I would say he might even be closer to the 50%. Um, and at this point in the draft, there's still going to be elite wide receivers and tight ends on the board who are going to be a lot better return on value, in my opinion, whether it's Julio Jones or George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. And then last but not least, I think a lot of people would probably agree with this, but the Packers offense last season felt very anomalous. They weren't, they, they scored points, but they weren't clicking on all cylinders. They didn't look right. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers takes a step forward this year and really helps him out. Um, and lastly, just to throw this in there for you, Evan, 
but I probably prefer Josh Jacobs over Aaron Jones in this <laughs> in this area. Uh, but what what do you what do you have thoughts on that, Evan? Well, okay, so I obviously I agree with you. I think anybody would agree that the 19 touchdowns is probably not repeatable. That's probably not going to happen again, and it probably made him look like a fantasy superstar when really he's just uh, he's a very good player. He's a very good player, but he's not um, top three at the running back position. Good. It's I'd have to look go and look at other guys, but it is a little interesting that he was such a highly ranked running back. I have it in front of me here. He only had seven um, top 12 finishes in PPR. I know he had some really big games. The Cowboys game where he had four touchdowns jumps out. He had a lot of games where he won you a week, and then there were some some quiet ones here and there. I think I'm okay with him in that mid to late second round area. Like, if, for example, if he dropped to me at the very end of the second round, I'd be thrilled. Don't think that's happening. But because I think he's... I mean, he's 5'9". He's like a Christian McCaffrey size, even a little smaller. So I think he's never going to get that big workload, like you said. The workload's going to go down, if anything, because they've, just, they've got to keep him in one piece. I mean, he's not a very, a very big guy. So, but I do think he's a good enough player that he's always going to be more efficient than his, you know, more efficient than the touches suggest, or he's, he's going he's gonna to be efficient. And so the touches that he gets, he's going to score more points than the average guy. But if you're take, you know, if you take him in the top eight, thinking that you're going to get a top five back, you're probably going to be disappointed, but I don't really see a world. I'm not saying you do either where this guy like completely busts out um, and isn't useful sans injury, of course. Yeah, I would agree with most of that. Uh, Part of the reason I'm labeling him a bust is I think that this is closer to where his ceiling is without those touchdowns. One one point I want to highlight, I think a player who is in a very similar-esque situation where they could be getting 60% of the touches and most of the receiving work is Melvin Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon and uh, Aaron Jones are in close to similar situations, and you can get Melvin Gordon at a better discount. And I, both, I think they're both equally talented backs. I know their skill sets vary a little bit, but at the end of the day, I think Melvin Gordon has the same upside Aaron Jones has, and you can get him at a lower price. Well, at the end of the day, quite frankly, his draft position and the draft position for all the running backs outside of a select few early in drafts, it's it's just because there's such a scarcity. I mean, if That's, running back yeah. was was even close to the same as receiver, it's like Aaron Jones probably is more of like a third round pick if running back, if you just did not feel like you had to have a running back. And that's just the reality of fantasy football if you're playing in a standard format. Absolutely. So I'm interested to hear who you have at number five. My number five is Juju Smith-Schuster. We obviously had a pretty long conversation on this guy. I think maybe even our first podcast. Um, so his ADP, or I, I don't know if I said ADP, but his consensus rank on Fantasy Pros, um, the number 10 wide receiver on Underdog, which I know we've never mentioned Underdog on here, but Underdog is another best ball platform. And so the ADP you're looking at on there is like real people, not experts, like real fantasy players who are doing these drafts not just experts, but some experts, but he's above guys like Odell, which we've had that conversation already, obviously, but also like Adam Thielen, Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, like all guys I'd rather have. We went over his year last year, pretty in depth, 42 receptions for 552 and three touchdowns. That's wide receiver 66. He did miss some time with injury, but just on a per game basis, 
And again, I mentioned this again on the first podcast as well. So you can go back and listen to that really for the Juju talk, the full argument. But Sammy Watkins, Taylor Gabriel, Deontay Johnson, who's on his team, I might add, and also had 12 starts, the same amount, and Chris Conley all outscored him on a points per game basis last year. And Deontay Johnson, we might get to this next week, is somebody I really like and really think it, it could be a good player. Um, I've, I've heard of a McCole Hardman comp for him. I don't hate that, honestly. I, th- I think that could, be, that could be a pretty fun player in that offense. I think there's there's a chance the gap between him, between Juju and Deontay Johnson is just way too wide. Deontay Johnson is more of a late 30s, and Juju obviously, like I said, is clear up hovering around the top 10. They also bring in Chase Claypool, who I'm not saying is going to be a fantasy factor, but it's like maybe it almost kind of feels like a possible change changing of the guard. I mean, there's been leaks that Juju's not going to be back next year. That this is his last year there. And then obviously there's the Big Ben risk that we've talked about. Is Big Ben done? Even if he's not, what does he look like? And also just the risk of, and I don't know if we've really talked about this enough, the Steelers have success winning the defense, winning in low-scoring games. Are we sure we just they just go back to, to airing it out um, full stop like they did before Big Ben missed all of last year? Um, obviously, yes. I, I will grant you, I know your comeback is going to be, the quarterback was bad last year. With Mason Rudolph, he was okay. With uh, Duck Hodges, it was abysmal. But the thing is, wide receivers, they, they don't all fall off like that with bad quarterback play. And you can argue Doug Hodges might be the worst, but you know how much better is he than Trubisky, than whoever was throwing the Kenny Galladay um, the last half of the season last year? Um, DJ Moore, a guy I mentioned earlier, we saw him produce with bad quarterbacks all year. And it wasn't just... That Juju, Juju had a lot of low lights, or at least some that stick out. I remember the fumble that lost the Ravens game. I remember he had a, a ball bounce off his hands and get picked in what felt like a crucial moment in a different game last year. So I guess my thinking is maybe he was just never as good as he looked uh, with Antonio Brown on the other side as the secondary slot guy. Um, I don't know, Dalton, you can tell me what you think. I know what you're going to think probably, but... Boy, the upside is still what it was last year, I think, when he was a top 10 pick, but we've seen the downside, and that downside, it scares me. And even if there's no Big Ben injury, I do worry that he'll be more like a a guy that maybe you can put in your flex, but he's a guy that if you take him where he's going, he's going to really hurt you because you're going to start him, and it might actively hurt your team on a week-in, week-out basis. Well, like Evan said, just to start this off with, we had a very intense debate about this episode two of the podcast. Uh, I'll start with a couple of things you said going on around Steelers camp. First, you, you question whether they just rely on their defense like they did last year. Um, I think that was more of a situation they were forced. I'm not saying that they'll just rely on it. I'm just saying, I'm wondering if they're going to go back to air it out offense when they saw, they saw they can win low scoring games. And you know what? Big Ben's a walking a, a walking injury every week, even when he's not out. So preserve that guy a little bit. Well, I mean, you have a team that prior to last year was ranked, you know, top 10 in yards per game in the NFL for consistent seasons. I think Mike Tomlin's a coach who is definitely a guy who wants to air it out and force the ball downfield. Um, as far as the question goes of whether or not Juju is a skillful player. I mean, he still does hold the record for the youngest receiver in the NFL to reach 2,500 oh, yards. To be clear, I'm, I'm not saying he's not a skillful player, but 
is he as good as we thought when Antonio Brown was the other guy? Well, and I still think he is. I mean, you had last season where from week six onward, there were reports that he was unhealthy ending up in December where they, he re-aggravated the injury that he said he'd had all season. Well, he had the, I think he, I think he had the turf toe and he obviously got the pretty major concussion at one point too. So I'm not going to deny he was banged up. And additionally, um, I think this offense can can deal with the Deontay Johnson and Juju doing well. Because dating back to the Emmanuel Sanders days, this this offense has always produced two top twenty four wide receivers pretty consistently. Um, and then last, just to, to repeat it, uh, you know, last year he had a fifty point eight percent catchable ball rate. In the two years prior, it was sixty one point four percent had an accurate ball placement. So Juju is still a guy who he just the quarterback play affected him the most because. He was asked to play on the outside last season because their offense had to take certain changes. Brooke Pryor's reported that Juju's going to be playing out of the slot more this season. She also had a lot of positive things to say about uh, Big Ben. Brooke Pryor is the ESPN Steelers beat reporter, for those who don't know. Uh, coming out of training camp, she thinks that he's going to be healthier. He looks better. He's also at the lowest weight of his life. I don't know where to handle that one. Um, but... Big Ben, I know he's a guy who's historically had a lot of injuries, but he's also a guy who's always been willing to play through them and maybe sit out. You know, he'll get hit really hard. He'll sit out a play, and then he'll limp back onto the field, and he'll throw a bomb to one of his receivers. Uh, and last but not least, I like being connected to a quarterback like Big Ben who takes riskier chances because that can always lead to more fantasy upside for your receivers. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think he's kind of positioned where I would like him to be. Um, I think – you know, there's some concerns still with the the target share Adam Thielen's going to be dealing with. Uh, you don't know what it's going to look like in Carolina. Amari Cooper has some question marks too about how you know how committed he is, and that's really who he's landing around. And I think I think his placement as far as ADP goes factors in his risk for me. Um, but I definitely understand the concern with Big Ben and the health placed on that offense. Well, and it's not even just Big Ben's health. I also just have the concern. Like I mentioned, it could be a changing of the guard. You've got a young receiver I like. They drafted another one that a lot of people like, a young, big-bodied guy. So it could just be a concern where Juju's not really the number one that you need him to be. But, okay, well, let's keep it going here, Dalton. Who is your number four? Coming in at number four is a guy who was traded for DeAndre Hopkins and I think will significantly underperform his ADP. It's David Johnson, who has an ADP of 44, putting him at RB21. I have some fast facts for you, and then I'll get into why I really don't like him. <laughs> Last year, Watson targeted his running back 69 times. Nice. Uh, 62 of those went to Duke Johnson. Um, part of David Johnson's upside in, er, in uh, with the Cardinals in Arizona was always his receiving upside because he was good in space. I think that Duke Johnson does a good job at taking away at least part of those. It looks like that if Watson had a favorite target, it was Duke Johnson. I do understand that his backfield mate was Carlos Hyde, who's not a pass catcher at all. Um, but there are also concerns with the role Johnson's going to be stepping into. David Johnson is more than likely considered to take over the Carlos Hyde role who they let walk away. Uh, and Carlos Hyde's role was running down the middle. Uh, per established the run last season, 245 of 265 of Carlos Hyde's carries were down the middle of the offensive line. David Johnson's not a down the line runner. He's a guy who is better when he gets into space on the edges and can make cuts upfield. We saw that his entire career at Carolina. 
Uh, and then there are just concerns with where he is as a player. I mean, I know we've mentioned it before, but there's the one play last season where he looked like he was struggling to get to the outside of the line. Yeah, it's uh, the play where you could put the trombone footsteps yeah. music with him. And the stats kind of back it up. I mean, he hasn't topped two and a half yards after contact since 2016. Uh, so if he gets touched, he's not doing well. This is a good pass blocking line, a very bad run blocking line, according to Brian Thorne of Establish the Run. And then last but not least, I don't think he's the most talented back here. I still believe Duke Johnson is an every down back. He was at Miami. He's never got the shot to do it. Um, and I think he's a better value for drafters too, is that if he gets a starting role in this offense, it's better off. And David Johnson's going around some great wide receiver values. Uh, Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, DJ Shark. And then if you want somebody who's only going to have the one and two down role, at least take Devin Singletary four rounds later, who's more explosive, looks better on paper, and isn't just as good of an offense. Well, I can tell you there. And I don't think Singletary is going quite that late, at least in, I don't know, I could be wrong, but that's four rounds later seems like a little much. But two or three. On on Duke Johnson, um, I agree with you that it's possible he's the better player. We've just never really seen a coach trust him with that it's full so role frustrating. for whatever the reason might be. We don't really know why. It's just kind of one of those situations. So you have to believe that when you see it, just as with David Johnson. I'm glad you mentioned him because he's a guy that I, he's not on my list, but he's a guy that I've really been struggling with because um, it's like he's always he's always there. Like he's always there when you get to the third and fourth round. He's kind of in that group you're looking at, and it's like, I don't know. I just don't feel good about it. Like I, I don't feel good about it at all. I don't think I've ended up with him in any mock I've done. You can see, I mean, there's a world where he's an effective running back and he talked about him as a receiver and as the receiving back. I mean, if they're smart, they'll line him up as a actual wide receiver and use him that way. Um, sometimes but we just don't know what he's going to look like as a runner. He is, and I talked about just the running back scarcity. He is the ultimate, like, <laughs> leap leap of faith i'm taking this guy because i need a running back and that's it because you're right if you're just talking about who will probably be better for your fantasy team just overall i mean those receivers are all guys that i like david johnson is like when you're taking a math test and your calculator gives you 16 and you just circle the closest number to 16 on the piece of paper because you don't want to do any more work about it that's all david johnson is to me i think he's not going to be worth it I think he's better if you can get him maybe three rounds later. Uh, but I think if you're going to take somebody, Duke Johnson's the guy to take. Just a fun little tidbit, uh, pro football focus has the Texans as the third softest strength schedule for running backs. So there might be some some concern there. I know you're not a big strength schedule guy. No. But th there's definitely, there might be some opportunity there if you get one of the backs in that system. I'm just much more preferential to Duke Johnson. Yeah, I'm probably... David Johnson just feels gross. Um, well, feels who do you have a four? Okay, so number four um, for me, I have Raheem Mostert. Um, is he on your list? Okay, I just thought maybe by your face he was on your list. Um, I have him at RB30, which isn't that far. I mean, Fantasy Pros has him at 24, so there's not a ton of difference there, but I think there's just a ton of volatility there and what could happen. Um, first of all, you talk about a guy who's been on five teams in five years. He started last year as a third stringer. When he did get carries later on, when it, when it broke his way, I mean, the stats looked great. He ended the year strong. We all remember the game against the Packers where he had 220 yards and two touchdowns, whatever it was. He's fast. I don't think he's very elusive. 
So I guess what I mean by that is I think you could pull about any league average running back and put them where he, you know, a guy who fits the, the zone run scheme, I guess, and put him there. I think about anybody could have done what he did behind that line in that scheme under that coach last year. So I don't think it's about the player. I think it's about where he's at. I don't know. Like I said, a quality back behind that offensive line, like that's what you want. Like ideally, that's what you want. And if we knew it was going to be him all season, then he's a guy who had would have high upside. But And that could happen this year. But also, we know that Kyle Shanahan likes to play Russian roulette with his running backs. You just never know who it's going to be on a week-to-week basis. And what's even scarier for me, well, I guess, again, if we knew that Shanahan was going to pick one guy and stick with him, that'd be something. But what's scarier for me is you have a beat reporter who has already come out and said on The Athletic that he's not necessarily sure that Mostert's actually going to be the starter. And I, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if he's been fed something and that's why he thinks that or it's just a gut feeling. But basically what he said was about what happened last year, which is what makes it believable. It's like, you know, maybe Coleman starts the game. Maybe Mostert does. Whoever's the hot hand, that's who they're riding that week. So it's like, I don't want a guy who I'm taking to be a starter on on my team to be at that mercy because you might have weeks where he has three carries. Like that's not, that's not impossible. We, we talk about the term swing players a little bit. And for me, this guy is definitely a swing player. If he hits, like he's going to, he's going to make your team great because he's a guy that you're taking in the fifth round. It could be like a second or third round value. If it doesn't work out, it could really not work out. And this is the only guy on the list that I have who I think could like completely bust out and like not even be worth a roster spot at some point this year. I agree with everything you said. I know some people are going to say that I have a bet with you that Mostert outscores uh, Jonathan Taylor, and I think he still does. Uh, but I think that's because he's going to have four or five games where he scores 20 plus points, and he's going to have four or five games where he scores zero points. Uh, I pulled up his snap share just out of curiosity last season. And it's it's kind of scary to look at. You go 30, <laughs> 30%, 46%, you're in the 30s, then he's 0, 0, 21, 3, 22. And then the tail end of the season, he jumps up to 48, and then he has a 29, a 74, and he stays in the 50s for the last five games. Well, and, and people also forget in the playoffs, like Tevin Coleman was the starter until he got hurt too. So it's not like Mostert just like took over that job and then it was his and he just completely ran with it. It's like, no, like Coleman actually got the spot back and then got hurt again. I agree with you on that as well. And what I look at this offense as is similar to how we viewed the Patriots offense in the past is anybody can produce in it. It just matters who gets the, the touches. So I think your value play with drafting a 49ers back is you take the one that's cheapest. Right now, you can get Tevin Coleman what much later in drafts. Tevin Coleman's usually the guy that gets the first and second down work. Also, there seems to be this thought pattern that Raheem Mostert somehow has a scat back role. He doesn't. He doesn't catch passes out of the backfield. He didn't catch hardly any last season. Uh, he totaled out with 22 targets. So And he only had eight catches. He's not a good pass catcher, so his only upside is running the ball. You still have Jeff Wilson, who's a vulture at the touchdown line. And everybody's forgetting that the back that was paid to be in San Francisco before Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon. Yeah, and we don't know what he's going to be, but he does at least. He is at least still there. Yeah, there are just so many guys in that. you need to. I would buy Tevin Coleman or Jarek McKinnon much later and have some shares of this backfield. The only format where I would like Raheem Mostert is best ball because I don't want to be the one to predict when Kyle Shanahan thinks he deserves 15 touches that game. 
Yeah, I mean, he's one of those classic guys that we've already kind of had this debate a little bit where it's like you look at the numbers at the end of the year, you might like him. But how many times did you start him where he completely screwed you that week? You know, like there's going to be a lot. If you're starting him week in and week out, there's going to be some heartache, I think. And there are guys who got him off waivers last year who probably think he's a value now. And I understand that, but he was a value last year because he was on waivers. You mm-hmm. just don't want to spend a fifth round pick on him, especially when you can get a guy like Russell Wilson who's going to perform for your team in that area. Or even a better dart throw, you have DeAndre Swift. A little later down the line, you have guys like Michael Gallup and Marquise Brown. They're just better players for your team and your roster construction in that area of the draft. Mm-hmm. All right, who do you have number three? This one was one of my tougher ones because I like him a lot as a player. I like the system he's in, uh, but it's Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram currently holds an ADP of 49, which puts him in the early fourth. Uh, A lot of the analysis I'm going to give you here is similar to Aaron Jones. Last season, 37%, which is 1% higher than Jones, of his fantasy points were touchdowns. So he was a big touchdown guy. I expect overall the Ravens offense to regress when it comes to total touchdowns. They were so explosive last year, and it's hard to keep that up. He's also entering his age 30 season, and he's a back who's seen a lot of work in the NFL his entire career. Uh, Usually around this point is where backs start to break down. Uh, Another concern, his highest carry game last year was 16 touches. Uh, He also has two guys behind him who are younger, who are also both very skillful. Those players are J.K. Dobbins, who second-round capital will spend on, and Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards was the third most effective player at breaking tackles per PFF last season. Uh, Mark Ingram's not a passing game guy either. He only had 29 passes caught. And I think right now where you're getting him in his ceiling, you're getting him as a guy who's not going to score 10 touchdowns this year, but you're still expecting RB 10, 11 production out of him in the early fourth. So he's somebody I'd rather have other guys in that area. You know, Devin Singletary, Jonathan Taylor is a better uh, back in my mind at that point because you're going to bet on him in the second half of the season to win you a championship. Mark Ingram might give you some fool's gold to start the year. And then you can get somebody like DJ Chark, who's a good wide receiver one, I think. So overall, I just don't think he's going to meet up with where he's being drafted. I prefer him maybe in the fifth, in the sixth round. Uh, but I also don't expect him to finish the season strong. And he's another guy just like Aaron Jones, or uh, just like I said earlier, I would sell high on. Yeah. So Ingram for me, I don't know, I wouldn't call him a bust, but also he's not a guy that I'm like too excited about drafting. Um, and a lot of it just depends on JK Dobbins. I think everyone agrees that number one Dobbins was one of the top running back prospects in a stacked draft. Um, and he's also just kind of the perfect fit for the Ravens and, their running scheme and their power run. I think if Dobbins ends up just like purely in the Gus Edwards role, then where he's going right now, where Ingram is going right now is probably too low, but you just have that, that unknown. And it, it, it's just pretty scary. Quite frankly, you just really have to take a leap of faith. And while I don't think he's going to have 15 touchdowns again, I think if, if he's their main guy, he's going to have high touchdowns because number one, that's kind of what Mark Ingram has always done. And then number two, just I think the offense is still going to rush for a lot of touchdowns. So I don't know. He's another, he's another one for, he's another swing player. I mean, he's another guy where, you know, depending on what happens with that situation behind him, you're either going to be really happy or you're going to be really frustrated. So I don't think it's a bad call. A fun we'll fact. Uh, that I had found like while looking into Mark Ingram. We all know Marsha Yonda, uh, the guard for the Ravens, retired. 
six of his 10 touchdowns came running towards the left guard in the red zone last season. Uh, that's uh, I'm not going to make much of it. Uh, it's just interesting to know that a lot of his rushing touchdowns came behind the one guy who's one of the best of his position to play it and is no longer with the Ravens. Uh, but just interesting fact. But I agree with what you said. J.K. Dobbins definitely plays a big role in where Mark Ingram ends up in his shares. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, okay, my next guy is this is probably the highest ranked guy on on my list. A guy that I do like, but I've just had a really hard time getting myself to take him. Um, and that's Chris Goblin. Chris Goblin is pretty much consensus a top five or six receiver about anywhere you look is usually going mid to late second round. And I mean, like I said, I have him ranked eighth. I don't have him much below that. I don't think he's going to like create your team. And I really don't even think that he's going to be a guy where you want to bench him, but you can't. I don't think it's going to get that bad. It's just like, he's the guy that I feel like there's really not any value in where he's going because I just think with with Brady coming to town, with all those guys, it's just really hard to know what to expect out of any of those Bucks guys. Number one, they're going to throw the ball. It probably won't be as much as last year. It probably won't be in as many negative game scripts as last year. Um, and that's the kind of stuff I don't really like predicting. But, I mean, we just flat know that Brady's not going to throw 30 picks. He probably won't even throw 10 picks. You know, like that's just not going to happen. They obviously added Gronk, and they obviously still have Mike Evans. And contrary to popular belief, OJ Howard does in fact still exist. He does still play football. So again, I just can't see him taking, I just cannot see myself taking him late second. Like that just feels, it's just no upside for me. I don't think he's going to, I mean, he was a top three guy last year. And we talked about this a little bit. And we talked about Goblin recently. Um, He got to such a strong start and then he kind of got keyed on and it wasn't as smooth down the stretch last season. Obviously, I have him eighth. I still think he's going to have a very good year. And he even runs the kind of routes that are going to match Tom Brady's style, the way he likes to play. But I don't know. I, I've mentioned this before. Goblin didn't rank in the top 30 and weighted opportunity rating, which is um, looks at a combination of target share and air yards to try and predict fantasy points. And he obviously outperformed that because he was a top two or three guy. He's going to outperform that most years because he's a very good player. But to say he's going to outperform it to that extent, that's just tough to rely on. And I think if you take him, you're going to be frustrated that you didn't take a couple of other guys in that range. That's kind of where I'm coming from, I guess. I agree with this one. And you've been able to put into words something that I've struggled with. Uh, It's very hard to rank Godwin low for a couple of reasons. One, everybody assuming is assuming He's getting the Julian Edelman slot role. He was 59% in the slot last year. But I will say this. If I am keying in on a player on this offense, I am much more preferable to Mike Evans. And there's a couple reasons. Uh, I know for a fact he's one of the only receivers to have four straight 1,000-yard seasons. In well, you, can get him a whole, you can get him a whole round later, too. You can get him a whole round later. Additionally, I don't know the exact stats, but I know Tom Brady was top six in average at the target last season. And he didn't have weapons to stretch the field. Mike Evans is one of the top contested catch receivers in the NFL. Speaking of which, if you're looking at drafting Chris Godwin, just pivot and, you know, four picks later at an ADP of 22 is Kenny Galladay, who I think will much be much better off performing in his ADP. Well, and he and he just has the upside. Like Godwin, like I said, if you take Godwin as the number five overall wide receiver, it's like that to me is 
and you talk you talk about that with Aaron Jones. Like that to me is like about the absolute best. Even though he finished higher than that last year, this year to me that's like the absolute most you can hope for. Whereas Galladay, I can paint a picture where he's the number one overall receiver. Not saying it's going to happen, but it it's not outland. You know, like I, I just don't think Goblin has that kind of upward mobility. Well, to be an overall number one receiver, you need deep threat play. Uh, you got to kind of have those plays that break the field. And I don't know if Godwin really spec or showcase that as well. He also played in what is considered the best fantasy gold mine. When you have a quarterback like Jameis Winston or Ryan Fitzpatrick who throw pick sixes over and over again and put you in negative game script situations, you have an opportunity to score multiple points. Uh, and Jameis Winston just chucks the, he chucks the ball all over the field. Uh, it's it, something that I I think he's not going to see a repeat of. He might see more efficient targets. But overall, if I'm taking a guy in this backfield or in this wide receiver core, it's Mike Evans. He's proved he can perform every year. I think Brady still has it in throw deep. I also think Mike Evans can just dominate most of the DBs he goes up against in the league. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think we're pretty much aligned there. I, I was gonna, I was curious what you're because I know neither of us took the over on his touchdown total, but I was curious what you're going to say about him being. Uh, a bust, not a major bust, but just a little bit of a disappointment. We'll just put it that yeah. way. I could um, see him finishing outside the top 12 wide receivers, but not outside of the top 20. Yeah. And it's so weird because like, like you said, it's like, I hate myself. If I think, about, I think really what it is, is you look at those receivers basically that come right after Galladay for me at like number six. Um, it's like, the, it, that's where it gets really scary already. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, there's questions about all those guys, quite frankly. Yep. I agree, so, absolutely. you know, it's just so flat. It's like, I think I'd rather just take a shot on the position that I need, which is running back and, you know, take a bunch of, yeah, I, I, we all like a lot of those mid round guys at their value. So uh, to me, that that's the way I would go. All right. We've got two guys, a piece left. I have a feeling my next two guys are going to get a lot more contentious than the guy I just mentioned. Dalton, I'll give you the floor. Who is your number two? I also think my next two guys are very contentious. <laughs> Uh, this one hurts because he's a guy whose story I love. Uh, it's Darren Waller, who currently has an ADP of 58, tied in five. Uh, Darren Waller was a flame out in the NFL for his first three years and turned it on. And let me, before I go into this, just say I think he's a very talented player. However, I do not believe, like he had last year, he's going to have 500 more receiving yards than any other player on the Raiders' offense. That seems like a stretch. With the additions of Henry Ruggs, who everybody knows is a talented speedster out of Alabama, who it looks like, based on camp talk, is going to be playing out of the slot a lot. You have Lynn Bowden, who came out of Kentucky, can play in the backfield and can also play wide receiver, was a very good pass catcher, also played a little bit of quarterback, which was interesting to think about. Uh, And then you have, uh, last but not least, Brian Edwards, who came out of South Carolina and broke the SEC record for receptions. All three of these guys are very targeted. Uh, They're going to be guys who definitely take away from Darren Waller's target share. Uh, Evan Silva said that Edwards' best comp is Juju Smith-Schuster. He's actually younger (laughs) than Juju Smith-Schuster is. When he entered the league, his first game at South Carolina, he was 17 years old, had a 100-yard game. The kid is a stud. Uh, Moving forward, one issue I'm finding with Darren Waller is he has a very, very low average depth of target. I don't know if that's whether due to his skill set or due to Derek Carr. I think that might be more <laughs> the latter. But it's 5.2 yards uh, as an average depth of target. But he was only behind George Kittle last season in yards after the catch. Uh, when you're catching the ball so close to the line of scrimmage, 
you're really putting a lot of bodies in front of you and you're just making it harder for guys to have positive yak situations. Also, last year, he was only behind the top three guys, Ertz, Kittle, and Kelsey, in target share for tight ends at 22.8%, which is where it gets really interesting. I'm going to give you his numbers when Hunter Renfro and Tyrell Williams were healthy and when they weren't healthy. When both players played, his targets per game dropped from eight to five. His receptions dropped from seven to five, and his receiving yards per game dropped from 90 to 57.8. This is all from an article on Fansided uh, from a beat reporter from the Raiders. He also didn't have a good TD volume. He only had three touchdowns, and a lot of people think that that's something that's a metric you can't really uh, predict, but his red zone target share was 17th in the league among tight ends. And the other tight end on the roster, Foster Morrow, had more targets in the red zone than Darren Waller is. So overall, I think it's going to be so tough You're saying Jason Witten might take some of the red zone. <laughs> well, target. I'm saying Jason Witten is a guy who, who <laughs> who's on the field. <laughs> but overall, he would have to repeat another spectacular yard season where he doesn't have a lot of touchdowns. And I just don't know if the Raiders offense allows for it. Uh, Derek Carr is best for a 4,000-yard season and 1,200 of those going to his tight end when he has a talented pass-catching core. Just, it seems like a stretch to me. Well, and for me, I think Josh Jacobs is going to catch more passes this year as well. So there is that. You mentioned just um, who he was playing with, some of the numbers when guys were on and off the field last year. But just as a whole, he ran the most routes on the team. He had 47 more targets and 41 more catches than any other receiver on that roster so he was basically their wide receiver one and you mentioned it they've put in some effort in the bringing in new guys whether it's edwards uh whether it's henry ruggs um obviously bringing back richard so i don't think that you're going to see the same volume i mean 90 receptions that that's a ton of receptions i think as a player he was not a fluke i think he's a good player he's very fast i just think in, with tight end in general my preference, because he was a waiver wire guy last year. He was not even drafted. Or if he was, he was like your last pick. My preference at tight end is, you know, I take a guy late. If he doesn't work out, I'm looking for the next David Waller, the next next Austin Hooper on waivers, because there's always those guys every year, just as a general philosophy, just because just with value-based drafting, it's, it's just such an advantage to take and hit on receivers and running backs. You really have to hit on a tight end and a quarterback for that matter to make it worth it. I agree. Uh, overall, I'd rather have Kelsey Kittle or end up with Noah Fan or TJ Hawkinson on my team. Um, but since there's a lot of agreement on this one, and I know that we're probably going to disagree coming forward, I'll go ahead and let you hop into your, your fourth player. Okay. So my number two is the guy that fantasy pros pulled according to an article Dalton sent 70 experts. And they had him as their number one bust came out today. Mr. Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen scored 35% of his fantasy points on the ground last year. He finished last among qualified quarterbacks with a 58.8 completion percentage and had the most off target um, passes at 23%. You're talking about Juju's uh, off target rate. I mean, if he had Josh Allen as quarterback, it might actually have gotten worse. Um, of the previous 10 quarterbacks to score at least nine rushing touchdowns in a season, that group saw a 66% decline in that category for an average of 
7.1 lost touchdowns. I'm not saying he's going to decline that much, but the worry is that the rushing touchdowns aren't what they were last year. And if that's the case, because it's not like he's a he's not he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not 1,200 yards rushing. He's not even a thousand yards rushing. He's 500 yards rushing last year is what he was. Dalton he had 700 fewer rushing yards than Lamar Jackson last year. Um, I know that we've mentioned that Allen could steal some goal line work from Zach Moss. I think that could go both ways. I think you could probably figure Singletary as a guy who's going to get a little more goal line work. He might not be the goal line guy, but I think he's going to get more than whatever it was, like three carries inside the the five-yard line um, last season. But if that rushing does fall off, he had six games last year with 200 or fewer passing yards. He never topped 300, and I'd have to look, but I wouldn't be surprised if he has not done that in his career or if it's happened very rarely. He's very inaccurate, and he's a guy. So this is probably my biggest argument. To me, if you're going to say he's QB7, or maybe you might say higher, but just in general, QB7 is about where he's going, ADP, into the sixth round. Um, That's not going to kill you if you take him there, but if you draft him ahead of any of those guys in front of him, thinking he could make a big jump, or even if you take him there, the lost opportunity to take a running back, to take a wide receiver that you could add to your team as your last starter in the sixth round or your best bench guy in the seventh round is a big opportunity lost for me personally. And unless he really improves as a thrower, I think it's going to be an up and down, a bumpy ride. Again, another one of those guys where you look at it at the end of the season and you think the numbers look fine. They look pretty good. but if you actually own them, there might be some tough times. And if that's if a quarterback that I'm taking in the sixth round, I want it to be Russell Wilson. I want it to be Deshaun Watson. I don't want it to be Josh Allen, who I think you could take, you know, Carson Wentz, Matt Stafford, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Cam Newton, and have a pretty comparable season. Like you're not going to be that much worse off. So I think it's just it's going to feel like an anchor on your team if that guy's your quarterback. You may so- go. Uh, I want to preface this because this argument is going to sound a little different from every other argument Evan and I have had on this specific episode. Evan was kind enough to tell me one of his busts, uh, that being Josh <laughs> Allen. So I had time beforehand to prepare uh, some counter arguments. And he was kind enough to do that because Evan knows that I think Josh Allen has a good shot at finishing QB1 this season. Uh, I also, and I'm going to repeat this, I looked it up. There's still 50 to 1 odds that Josh Allen wins MVP. It's a good bet. Take it. All right, moving on to some some things I want to talk about, Josh Allen. First, I'm happy you answered. I was going to ask you if you thought he couldn't finish QB7. It seems you just think there are higher upside quarterbacks in the same range. Um, well, it's not even necessarily that. It's just you know how different is QB12 from QB7? And then how different is you know running back 30 to running back 40? It could be a it, – it's a kind of what, it, what the tight end argument we had – or the discussion we had just a second ago. It's like – if I take a quarterback that early, I want him to be QB3. <laughs> I don't want him to be QB7. I'm either taking a quarterback. Well, I've never taken one really early. I'm probably not taking a quarterback until double-digit rounds, you know? so Good. Um, this is probably the only guy I would consider taking early on, him or obviously Mahomes, depending on where he's at. Uh, here's some news for Josh Allen. This is from Pole Football Focus. His short and intermediate passing game has been very stable the last two years. He's the fourth best passer at routes under 19 yards uh 
Pro Football Focus charted deep balls over the last two years and found that deep passing is most consistently dependent on the wide receiver core a quarterback has. I will mention John Brown was a positively graded wide receiver on deep balls and that Josh Allen just yeah, overthrew how, him 50% how many, of the time. How many times have we seen clips no. for Josh Allen? It's, it's 10 yards overthrown. And I'll get to that. Josh Allen had the worst qualifying grade for deep balls, balls over 25-plus yards in the league last season. However... Only 16.2 of his attempts were deep balls. Uh, so it's not like he's a guy who is actually chucking it down the field every play. Uh, more importantly, I want to get to where I think his real upside is. He is the second highest quarterback with red zone carries in the NFL behind only Lamar Jackson. He led all quarterbacks over the last two years in rushing touchdowns. Also, a positive note, Josh Allen has gotten better in his two years in the league side by side. His first year, his rookie passer rating was 67.9. That's well, gotten better because he was so terrible his rookie year. It was almost impossible for him not to get better. It's gone up to 85.3. Uh, that's a big plus. Also, the second half of his season, his grade went up to a 90.1, which was above league average. Uh, right after the Patriots game is where he really had a big increase in his ability to play after he got concussed. So maybe they knocked something loose. <laughs> and last but not least, I think Stefan Diggs is a big plus for Josh Allen. Uh, even if Josh Allen is inaccurate in his throws, Stefan Diggs is going to be open so often that he can't miss him every time. Last but not <laughs> well, I, would, I would hope he can't miss him every time. <laughs> last but not least, uh, Josh Allen is a guy who scrambled the fourth most in the league last season for 330 yards. He got three touchdowns that way. He also had. 63 designed runs with 180 yards and six touchdowns. This is a head coaching staff that's smart. They know they're going to play to his strengths at the end of the day. And Josh Allen is a good runner and they're going to let him run the ball. I don't believe that's going to change. And I think the ultimate cheat code to getting a top five quarterback in the league is the ability to rush the ball really effectively. That's to how you clear, end. To be clear, the ability to run the ball is the only reason why he's even sniffs a top, as a top 12 guy. Do, do you think last season he had 3,000 passing yards? Out of curiosity, do you think he hits over that number or under that number? <laughs> I I guess I would I would probably say it's a wash. I would say it's probably right around there again, which, I mean, when you think about 3,000 yards, it sounds like a lot. But then when you think about this way, he averaged like barely over 200 yards a game. Then you kind of realize, oh, like that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of gross. I'm curious what his player prop is and if we can make a little bet here. So I'm going <laughs> to look it up real quick for passing yards. Um, because I, I think that he's closer to having at least a 3,500 passing yard season. Oh boy. I, I think you're, I think so his player prop is over under 3,250 passing yards. Would you take the over or the under? I'm taking the under and I've, I've been looking up. So his rushing touchdowns, like, I don't think he's ever going to go down to like a below average runner while he's in his prime, but just to like show you how fluky rushing touchdowns, especially for a quarterback, can be, you know, Cam Newton's only had eight or more rushing touchdowns three times, and he hasn't done it since 2015. And I mean, Cam Newton's one of the best running quarterbacks we've ever seen. So, I, I, like I said, I'm just worried that if the running, if the touchdowns go away a little bit, if it's four rushing touchdowns instead of eight or nine, then we could be in for some tough times for a guy who. You know, just barely cracked 3,000 yards and just barely cracked 20 passing touchdowns last year. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think he's going to keep the red zone carries. Uh, I think that he's a guy who has plus side of getting 12-plus rushing touchdowns. 
And I also think that with the additions to the wide receiver core and a stable offensive line, he could be a better passer. Um, and I think that all leads up to Josh Allen having a good year, good enough to finish within the top four or five fantasy quarterbacks. The last thing I'll say on Josh Allen is, you know, some people really thought that Blake Bortles was a good player um, after he put up pretty good numbers there for a while too. Not that they're similar players, but I'm not sure Josh Allen's ever going to be a winning quarterback. Just like I'm not sure Blake Bortles at the time. It was like, I don't think Blake Bortles is ever going to be a winning quarterback. So, well, the distinction I want to make is I don't necessarily think Josh Allen's a talented quarterback. I think he's a good fantasy player. I think he's a good guy to have in your fantasy team. Um, I do think he's wildly entertaining to watch, but I don't necessarily believe he's a hey, good if, quarterback. If overthrows, if overthrows are your thing, then that guy's got it, baby. Oh, well, right. I'll move g- on. G- give me your number one. We've got nothing more to say on this inaccurate guy. My number one, and this one was one that I went back and forth with, uh, and actually a thread I saw on Twitter last night kind of convinced me to put him on the list, uh, but it's Kareem Hunt, who currently has an ADP of 65. He's going in the early fifth. There are a couple reasons why I haven't ranked here. Uh, let me first say the scary thing about Kareem Hunt is I don't know how low his floor goes. Uh, he's behind arguably the most talented back in the NFL running the ball. Uh, additionally, Nick Chubb's not a bad pass catcher. And right now there's just a belief that Kareem Hunt gets the passing duty roles. Uh, but the thread that changed my mind that I want to point out is from Contacts Matters. It's Dwayne McFarland who writes over at Pro Football Focus. Uh, he pointed out a couple things. I sent this to the group, I think. Uh, first, Stefanski, got his name into this podcast too, said <laughs> that they're going to be using the Texans playbook, which is a very one running back scheme heavy playbook. Uh, the Texans only deployed two running backs on six uh, on a league low uh, 30% of their plays. More importantly, while offensive coordinator at Minnesota, Stefanski deployed a running back fullback combo on a total of 321 plays. He deployed a running back running back combo on only eight plays over the 16 game season. Of those, his top two backs, Cook and Madison, were not on the field together at all. That's scary to me. So then you go into the argument that your betting Kareem Hunt has a high receiving upside. Um, I've seen projections that put him at a high end of 90 targets a year. I don't see where those targets are coming from in this offense. There are two talented playmakers ahead of him, and Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. They added Austin Hooper, who's also a good pass catcher. Um, so you, you're relying on Kareem Hunt to maybe play out of the slot, but even then it, the personnel usage that Stefanski runs, 21 personnel, is not a, one that has a slot receiver the majority of the time. Additionally, where he's getting taken, you have players like uh, Cam Akers, who might have a clearer role to getting both back duties, receiving and rushing. Michael Gallup, who was a top rod receiver last year, top 24. Marquise Brown, who has really high upside. Um, So the scary thing is, is that he's being taken like he has standalone value. And I think his value needs to be assessed a lot closer to people like Tony Pollard, who he's a top five back if if Nick Chubb gets hurt but I just don't know how low the floor goes. And that's my concern. So, okay. I think for me, I'm a little bit with you. I'm with you in the sense that I don't think he has a ton of upside. I think as long as Chubb is there, his upside is very capped, but I also don't think he has the downside that you, that you do. I I think he's kind of a guy where you just take, you take him for what he is and maybe he's going too high because maybe he's being taken pretty close to, his actual ceiling, and I don't know what his actual um, 
ADP is. I don't have that in front of me, but He's I going do early know, fifth. Early fifth. So what? Where is that among running backs? Do you know? Uh, I think it puts him. I'll get it to you while you keep going. Well, since 2010, there's only been 10 times where two guys from the same team have finished as top 24 running backs. So it's possible, but that doesn't happen very often. The most recent being uh, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, and that was just an incredible um, fourth and sixth for those guys that year. Before that, Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman. It gets real funny the further back you go. 2015, Matt Forte and Jeremy Langford, who I oh my God. did not remember existed until looking at this list. So I guess the point is, if you're counting on Hunt to be a top 24 back with Chubb there, it's possible because he's definitely the most talented backup running back in the league. He's probably the only backup running back that has a 1,300-yard season to his name. Um, so we've seen him do it. We know he can do it, but I... I think they're going to find ways to use him because he is a talented player, but there's no question to me that Chubb is the better player. He's the lead guy, and he's the guy that I think some people think that the gap between those two isn't very wide, and I I think I disagree pretty heavily with that, I guess. I'm with you on all of that. Um, just so you know, his ADP is RB27, so right outside the top 24, right above DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, Rojo, jk dobbins those kind of players yeah so like he's a guy like if you just like in in my opinions i think he has a pretty safe floor i think he is going to get touches he's a guy that you might draft to put basically he's a guy that if you just need a very safe floor if you need a guy who hey this guy can get me eight to ten points this week um most weeks then he's your guy but i mean if you're looking to take a dart throw on a running back you like there he's probably not your guy unless you're just hoping for a Nick Chubb injury. And that's really what it would come down to. And the last thing I'll say on this, and I don't want to harp on this much because it's a, it's a factor. It's not predictable, but I'm just curious on what kind of shape he shows up to camp. It's a line I'm going to be watching. We all remember the emphasis video after the chiefs won the super bowl of cream hunt getting pulled over while drinking. Well, that's why he's still there. If he wasn't a big idiot, he probably would have at least got some money to go be a starter somewhere else, which is really unfortunate because Nick Chubb would be a top six player. Absolutely. And I just wonder where his mental health is uh, and whether or not he's been working for, you know, he's been working hard to keep his role. Well, you just have the downside of him getting in trouble again during the season. Absolutely. And that's another thing. He's a player who you could probably label somebody who has off-field concerns at this point. (laughs) Yes, I think so. Uh, But that's all I have to say there. We can jump to your last player and see who he is or what are you going to say? She, or she? Or that she. Was, that'd be I real wanna, interesting. I'm not here to assume genders of my NFL <laughs> players. All right. So I don't think you'll be too surprised to hear this. We talked about him last week at length. My number one is Miles Sanders. Um, this is not me saying that he can't be useful. This isn't even me saying that he can't be a pretty good option for your fantasy team. And I guess it depends on where he's, you know, where he goes in your draft. Like it does everybody, but especially him for me, because I feel like I see people who are way overboard on this guy. And then I see people who have him like RB12 where I feel like ah like I don't like it. I don't you know I don't love it, but like 12 through 20 is like not that much different for me at running back, like 10 through 20 somewhere in there. So it's not a big deal, but um on underdog, he's being drafted ninth overall, not as RB9, ninth overall. Um ahead of guys like CEH, Joe Mixon, Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs, and Nick Chubb. I would take all of those guys um, before Miles Sanders. I have Sanders 18, so I'm probably lower on him than than most, but 
So his, his average ranking on Fantasy Pros is RB11. Um, he was outsnapped by Jordan Howard, Jordan Howard 262 to 227 before Howard got hurt. Obviously, you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at that as, well, he's a rookie. He had to get acclimated, which, you know, that could be true. But to me, it's, that's just a little worrisome that he was being outsnapped by Jordan Howard for eight weeks. It is what it is. Um, I guess I use that to say that I do worry that there will be be backs there that cut into the workload maybe a little bit more than people think people are willing to admit um the argument for him is the last six weeks uh, obviously he was very good the last six weeks he probably won you a fantasy league if you had him on your team or you had a good chance if you had him on your team um but he was competing with the likes of greg ward and the two tight ends there goddard and Ertz. i mean their receiving core was so banged up um and boston scott was the rb9 in half point Wow. Well, Miles Sanders was the RB seven half point the last four weeks. So it's like they were relying on those guys because they had to. They absolutely had to. Philly has been linked to guys like Carlos Hyde, who obviously did not go there. And they have been linked to Devontae Freeman, which, well, the jury is still out as far as that goes. Um, so I think there is a concern that Freeman ends up there. And if he does, that would be a big blow for a lot of the Miles Sanders truthers. You also have him with a PFF grade of 50 out of 58 eligible running backs uh, as far as offense goes with a rushing grade that's 45th out of 46 um, for eligible running backs. So that tells me he's not he's not a great runner. He's got a lot of things to polish, to clean up, to work on there. Uh, Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs, one and two um, and rushing, by the way. Um, he is 15th in pass catching grade. So, I mean, he's a good pass catcher. We've talked about that. He has upside there. But I think the upside might be, again, a little bit less than people think if they actually have a complement of weapons somewhat healthy um, outside of Greg Ward this year. Um, I'm not saying that Boston Scott is coming for his job. I think he's the lead guy there, but I don't know. To me, I have him at 18. I could see a world where if he becomes a much better runner than, and if his vision improves, and I could definitely see him being a guy who's worthy of like the RB12 by the end of the year for sure. But he just has such a small sample size compared to other guys who are going in that range that I'm okay being wrong. I'm okay missing out if that does happen this year. And just the last thing, Dalton, before I turn it over to you, is I know Ross Tucker, a guy that we both like, we both listen to, especially when it comes to offensive lines. He he has said that the Eagles are probably more than likely going to be a top 10-ish offensive line instead of number one, like they were last year, which obviously – that starts with Brandon Brooks, the number one graded um, guard in the NFL, tearing his Achilles before the season even starts this year. So you have the offensive line getting work. The other concerns that I outlined, I don't feel great about taking him RB12. I'm definitely not taking him as number nine overall player. Um, I just think if your biggest argument for a guy is that he's just going to be the lead guy, I think that's where you can get in trouble. So I didn't know you were going to pick Miles Sanders, but I had an inkling of feeling, so I do have some... <laughs> some uh, supporting arguments for myself here. Uh, I'm going to start off with addressing his PFF rushing grade because that was a concern that I had after I had looked at it. Uh, if you go back to the 2019 draft, which had some heavy hitters, it had Josh Jacobs, it had Devin Singletary, it had Devin, uh, David Montgomery. All of those guys were considered studs in college. Miles Sanders had the second highest rushing grade for, per pro football focus in the 2019 draft among qualifying backs at Penn State. Uh, secondly, 
I looked up a lot of in So, okay, you're, you're saying in college against yes. those guys? I don't, so care. In, I don't care about what he did in college. Well, it just yeah, shows so. that Miles Sanders was a good runner at one point in college. So well, we yeah, know but, he's playing, but, he's, but he's playing four games against guys who are way worse than him. Um, well, that's true of every team. Every team plays like can't well i know and that's why we don't know about rookies like it to the nfl <laughs> but we we jump into it um first you're concerned you have at least some concern that boston scott or they're going to sign somebody else but you have uh, you have the rb coach first of all coming out deuce staley you saying he's a guy you put in and let him go he's a guy you can get 15 plus touches and have no concerns about uh he it's very clear that the entire coaching staff is all in on him leading the is uh, it though because backfield. they were going after Carlos Hyde and they well, talked to Devontae Freeman? They have come out and openly said they're willing to sign somebody to the veteran minimum. Uh, well, yeah. Devontae Freeman just is a guy just because they don't want to Just because they don't want to pay a guy doesn't mean that – they're all in on Miles Sanders because they have to be. Right now, no, basically. they, they want a backup behind Miles Sanders who's not Boston Scott. You don't sign a guy to the veteran minimum and then expect him to be Well, right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to bring somebody in to be the lead back, but if they bring somebody – I mean – Number one, again, like I said, I think that if you're expecting him to be the unquestioned like 80% um, workhorse back, that that just might not happen. Just because I mean, they've got it's not that they have a ton of other guys there that you love, but if he's not a great player, which I think the jury is still out on that, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say the jury's still out on whether or not he's a great player? I would say he's a great pass catcher at the minimum. Okay, great pass catcher. That's different from great player. Austin Eckler's a great pass catcher. He wasn't ever a good fantasy guy until last year. Yeah, well, I would put, I would say that Austin Eckler and Miles Sanders is a good comp. I'm not, I'm not betting on Miles Sanders being a great rusher. I'm betting on him catching a lot of balls and being productive in that offense. Additionally, I mean, his pace last season over his final eight games when Jordan Howard went down, I said this last time too, was 296 touches, 62 of those being catches, 1,526 total yards. He was also a top 24 back and only 17% of his points came from touchdowns uh he pretty much split even with jordan howard who i think is a very talented runner uh so I, even I, then i disagree i think jordan howard's just a, a pounder well even then jordan howard is like he has like 2.8 yards per after contact he's a very talented runner in the nfl he's just not a good pass catcher uh but going forward with that there's not a single back in that offense who's going to get rushing down duties Devontae Freeman has said he's not going to sign unless he gets what he thinks a fair market value. So there's no chance the Eagles sign him if they're going to sign a guy at a veteran minimum. So then you have no dominoes left on the Regenback free agency market, but Carlos Hyde, who has had no links to talks to the Eagles, and they would have signed a guy by training camp, you would expect. So Miles well, Sanders I'm going saying, forward. I, I'm not even saying they're going to sign a guy, but I'm just saying that's a possibility. And even if they don't, I just think that he could get – I mean, he's a. I just think there could be games where there are mistakes – there's a missed hole, whatever, where I think it could get bogged down by Boston Scott, by Corey Clement. I think those guys could be more involved than people are giving giving them credit for. Well, I mean, that's how even, it's always been in Philly under Peterson, to be clear. Even not, to not end saying the season, that that means it's going to be, but Boston Scott had a 15% target share in that offense the last three games, and Miles Sanders was still productive in the passing game. Well, that's because we've been over this. I already said Greg Ward was their wide receiver one. Well, and going into the season, their wide receiver one is likely going to be a rookie wide receiver who we don't know how attuned the offense is going to be in Jalen Rieger. After that, you have Deshaun, questions. you have Alshon, who are going to be in and out due to injury, obviously. But let's just say I don't think they're going to. They're, they're, 
we're not going to predict they're going to be a skeleton crew like they were for the last however many games, five, six, seven games of last year. Well, we still don't know where Deshaun Jackson sets after his uh, anti-Semitic comments. It <laughs> looks like Alshon Jeffrey is going to start the season on the PUP list. He was placed on it on July 28th. There's no indication he's going to come off. If at the start of camp he's not off, he's six weeks on. So I still think they're starting with what is his skeleton crew. They've come out and said that they think Greg Ward has a good shot at starting the season, and he was their wide receiver one last year. Uh, for some part of the season. So Miles Sanders goes in a great situation. Uh, the last thing to touch on is I know their offensive line is not going to be the number one graded overall, but, you know, a top 10 offense, any oh, back sure. behind that's going to be going to have success. And for sure. last but not least, I think that good quarterbacking always leads to having a good running back. And Carson Wentz is a very talented quarterback. And I think he's going to do his best to give Miles Sanders the necessary looks he needs. Yeah, we'll we'll see. The jury's still out a little bit on on Wentz as far as producing for a whole year. Obviously, he had injured guys last year, but it's just been kind of a weird run for Wentz and Philly. But I don't know. I just think that if your biggest argument for a player is situation is what we think his workload is going to be, and for a guy like if this were Nick Chubb on this offense, totally different. But this is a guy that I don't think is like in that elite group of running backs. And I don't think you think he is skill wise either. So I'm not saying that, but he's not going as an elite back. He's going around Kenyon Drake, uh, Aaron Jones. He's going around backs who are just in probably well, a same I, talent I, pool. No, I think, I think both those guys are better and they're more proven Drake less. So obviously, but at least Drake has been in, you know, been productive in the NFL before last year. I just think there's other guys I would rather take, the chance on and it partially depends on which ADP you're looking at. For me, I put more stock in the um, underdog number nine overall because I feel like even though Fantasy Pros has them as the num- as the RB eleven, I feel like I've seen a lot of places that list him as a top six, top eight running back, and I'm just not touching him at that value. Well, I take him RB9. over. I mean, if you're asking me to take him over Joe Mixon, over Josh Jacobs, over Nick Chubb, that's just not that's just not happening. Yeah, I, I have him ranked over Josh. Uh, we 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 took the bet last. No, time, I so know over this, but I have him over Jacobs and Chubb, and that's just si- simply because I think receiving upside. Uh, you know, a, a a reception is worth more points than a rush in fantasy football, and we all know that. Yeah, just I think if we could predict which guys can who aren't like the cream of the crop talents, like that next tier of guys, which guys are going to turn opportunity into high volume and then into a top ten season then fantasy wouldn't be nearly as interesting because we would be able to predict that stuff easily. We would know some of the guys who are going to emerge or some of the guys who are going to make leaps. I just don't want to put myself out there when it comes to Sanders because I'm not sure I'm a big believer in him as a runner yet. And again, I mentioned this guy last week. I'm not saying he's Alex Collins, but I think what that can teach us is you can get in trouble just looking at situation and thinking, uh, well, well, who else I'll is give there? you a player. Okay. If you can't evaluate a player because you think college is it, it shouldn't be factored in because they have four, I'm not saying it shouldn't games. be factored in, but you can't to, factor in opportunity because we can't predict that. Then I don't understand how you have the same standard on Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who we've been told he's a starting back, just like the Eagles are telling us. No, no, no. Back. I'm I'm not saying you can't factor in college, but when we've already seen these guys in the NFL for a year and you go back to use their college at some point, I mean it's only been a year, but I need to see it in the NFL. He's been in the NFL for a year. I don't want to go back and look at his college. I want to talk about what he did last year. And what he did last year, you mentioned he was second out of those guys 
running the ball. There's only one back worse in the entire NFL last year out of qualified guys running the ball. So that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I don't want to use his college running when he was a very bad runner per PFF in the NFL last year. I put more stock in that. I want to see that improve. If that improves and he turns out to put all of those physical gifts to good use, if the vision improves, then he's a guy I could see myself being in on next year. But for now, I'm going to let other people take that leap. Well, at the end of the day, my my final comments on this, because I know we're running long. Uh, his biggest concern was he wasn't hitting the right holes. That's not something to do with athleticism. It's something that's coachable. You can coach a guy up and fix that. Well, Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman's had that issue his whole career, too. He had a good year in San Francisco. And he has his own running back coach coming out and saying he believes that he should get 15-plus touches. You don't have anybody really competing for the rushing, which is what his weakness is. And then you also have him getting the receiving upside. I don't see a situation where Miles Sanders doesn't end up in the top 15 easily of backs. And I think taking him a nine overall isn't – isn't a big reach in a PPR league. I can see an argument for uh, Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs over him in a normal league with no PPR or half point PPR, but I can't see it where we're getting the points off of his reception targets, especially in an offense that still looks to be missing playmakers outside a wide receiver. Yeah, I, I guess we'll see about that. I, again, I'm just not in on the player right now. Maybe I will be later, but he, he has to prove it to me because he just has such a short track record of, you know, major success in the NFL compared to other guys who you'd be taking him over and other guys who I think have just proven to be better players up to this point. But that is going to do it for us today on the half point per podcast. Went a little long, but obviously with bus and we're going to have disagreements. That's just kind of how it goes. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at half point per pod. Please vote in our um, <laughs> lunchables poll. Has anybody checked on that poll to see if we've gotten any votes where we're at? I haven't I pulled up. Hold on. I didn't even retweet it yet. Okay, Johnny's been sending it to people. I have no doubt in my mind. At six votes, Eat It Cold is winning. 33% have voted for microwave. So it's a four to two split. And I know you and I voted for Heat It Up in the microwave. So Johnny has been, while Evan and I have been diligently working to make this an exceptional podcast, Johnny has been uh, rigging the votes similar to the 2000 Florida election scandal. <laughs> so if you're listening right now, don't let there be any hanging chads. Please vote in the poll at half point per pod at twitter.com. I did nothing wrong. Did nothing wrong. Please don't let right. eat pizza lunchables cold win. That's what monsters do. Um, our show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, most notably Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a five-star review. If you leave a comment with that, maybe we'll read it on the show. But otherwise, we will talk to you all next week. And next week, we are going to be hitting on our breakouts, which will be a very exciting show. A lot of fun guys to talk about. Much more positive vibe. Josh Allen, Josh Allen. Much more positive vibe to that show um, next week than this week. 